0: We're so happy to have Sling TV as the sponsor of the World Soccer Talk podcast. This podcast is presented by Sling TV. From the Premier League on USA Network and NBC and League Earn on BN Sports, plus Copa Libertadores also on BN Sports, you can watch all these leagues and tournaments live on Sling for a starting price of $45 a month, compared to Fubo's $70 a month. Hello, and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast. My name is Christopher Harris. I'm joined by my co-host, Kartik Krishnaya. Kartik, uh, there's a lot to get to this week, but one of the first topics I want to bring up is um, an article that appeared this week in Awful Announcing, which is uh, a website that uh, covers pretty much all sports, but more so from Basically, kind of the uh, all sports version of World Soccer Talk, which goes into just uh, even talking about basketball, American football, baseball, uh, TV coverage, announcers, stuff like that, celebrities, etc. And they had a story this week about uh, CBS Sports's coverage of the UEFA Champions League um, and Champions League Today, the, the show that they have. And we've talked about CBS Sports quite a bit um, back and forth. Uh, over the years. uh, We broke the story that uh, CBS Sports had acquired the rights to the Champions League uh, a few years ago. But, uh, Kartik, for those who might have missed the awful announcing story, uh, what was it about in more detail, and and what are your thoughts about it uh, as a general topic?
1: Well, it it basically said that uh, CBS Sports... uh, coverage of the Champions League, their studio programs in particular, are setting the standard for broadcast sports on United States television and that they're doing things uh, in that studio uh, and in presenting the Champions League that um, are innovative and new and lighthearted and engage the audience in a way that even some of the most successful uh, sports programs, and you can think of them, uh, the the NBA coverage on Turner, the uh, coverage of college sports on ESPN, the coverage of the NFL on CBS and Fox, um, that it's doing things that even those, those programs, those uh, those benchmarks, if you will, in sports broadcasting in the United States aren't doing. Um, and I think there's some truth to that, but I also think that for some of us who are really hardcore soccer fans, the laffy laughy, laughy, jokey, jokey thing has gotten... Um, a little over the top, right? I mean, the very, you know, we've complained in the past, Chris, about the formulaic nature of, of, of how NBC presents the Premier League, and they've, they, you know, tweaked that a bit the last year, year and a half or so since they uh, re-upped the rights. They've, they've gotten a little more uh, creative, but there is a certain comfort level for those of us looking for analysis and, and just kind of a straight presentation in that versus the CBS approach.
0: I think that the fact that we're talking about it and also Awful Announcing is, is writing about it and we're discussing it is, is a is a good sign uh, in a way. Like, for example, when I look at uh, NBC Sports, and you mentioned them a minute ago, I think uh, I, I agree with you, Kartik. I think their coverage has improved. Uh, and I think a lot of that, too, is um, Danny Higginbotham, uh, his involvement, uh, and also bringing in Stephen Warnock as a good example, too, where they've kind of fine-tuned uh, the coverage, and I think Tim Howard has stepped up, uh, Rebecca Lowe has stepped up, uh, and both of those stepping up has as forced the two Robbies to step up too. So it's hit and miss, but it is, in some ways, formulaic now. You I mean it, they've got the the gold standards? Uh, it delivers every week. I'm not tuning in early as much as I used to when it, when they first had the coverage. Partly because there's so many, so many so many other soccer games on, right? I might catch a Bundesliga match, or might catch a, a championship match on a Saturday morning, or might catch Serie A early on a Sunday morning. So I don't feel the need to go to NBC Sports early. But as soon as that game starts, I'm I'm hooked. CBS's coverage of the Champions League. So so I watch it, um, uh, and I think partly it's because. I mean I'm an analyst and we're watching this stuff we're critiquing it we're you mean talking about how good it is or room for improvement so if I was just a soccer fan would I tune in early to watch the coverage and I think it it's a yes because I look at Kate Abdo Kate Abdo fantastic right million times better than what she was at uh, Turner Sports Bleacher Report doing the Champions League there um, but I think now, too, in terms of she's really found her place much better than what she was at Fox. And she was good at Fox and she was uh, decent at Turner. But at uh, CBS Sports, I mean, I think she's in the A game. And then you look at uh, Jamie Carragher, uh, Mika Richards, uh, Thierry Henry. I think the three of them have a really good chemistry together. Uh, and, and looking at this week's coverage of the, the UEFA Champions League, there were some segments where I'm like, OK, this is funny. This This is really entertaining um this is this is good to watch others that are kind of it's hit and miss others that are like eh, that, that that doesn't really interest me at all um uh, but i still continue to watch so i think i think the fact that we're talking about it is a good sign because it, it is so different it does shake things up it is so different than others um you look at espn's coverage of soccer for the most part i think that's formulaic right that's kind of we're so used to seeing that same studio Uh, the same kind of uh, format that really hasn't changed much maybe with the coverage of La Liga there's a lot more Sid Lowe or or kind of uh, correspondence uh, or it's FA Cup and you have correspondence on the pitch there that that, that's a little bit different but uh, overall I think CBS Sports in terms of the UEFA Champions League coverage is heading in the right direction to me personally what would you say though Kartik about NWSL their coverage of
1: NWSL, I think, is uh, is dragging. I, that's the best way I can put it. It's very... Um, I, I was pretty excited that first match where they brought Jackie Oatley, uh, the first broadcast match of the season where they... Uh, Kansas City and uh, Portland where they brought Jackie Oatley over um, to, to call the match. But um, it, it's really, I think, just uh, petering out where they're, they're going through the motions. It feels very much like... Uh, like Fox at the end of the Bundesliga run, right, where they they kind of curtailed the studio, where they were just kind of flipping uh, flipping a, a switch. Paramount Plus, their, their technical glitches, technical glitches last week. Uh, I uh, because of uh, life happening, I wasn't able to really focus on the on the uh, Challenge Cup this week. Although I, I plan to go back and watch those matches, I'm hoping it didn't happen on Wednesday night with the Challenge Cup. And it seems like they're just flipping uh, the, the, the the switch and letting end up. NWSL productions do the rest. So it's a very different approach than Champions League. And it's kind of interesting, Chris, because NWSL continues to to get good numbers, right? Anytime an NWSL match is on CBS over the air, the numbers are, are comparable, if not better, than MLS matches on broadcast on over-the-air television. So um, that's... Uh, kind of curious. I think maybe there's stuff going on behind the scenes that that uh, isn't out there in the public domain between CBS and NWSL. That's that's speculation. We can talk about that in another show. But it is very different, and this is this is something that's uh, to your point about ESPN. ESPN kind of flips the switch on everything, and it looks the same. So, for example, uh, Bayern and uh, and uh, gosh, why am I blanking out? They played Friday. No, they didn't I, play Friday the mines? This, last week. No, they didn't play Heinz. Why am I blanking out? They drew. Uh, and Hoffenheim. The oh, yeah, 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 the, uh, yeah, the, the Bayern Hoffenheim match this past week. You had the, the same studio, K Marie, Ali Moreno, it's quite good. But it's the same studio you might have for a La Liga match, right? It kind of the same same graphic, same style, same type of conversation. CBS, every product is different. We're talking about the way CBS covers Champions League and NWSL. But Serie A, which is another product, they cover radically different than they cover those two products. And then ConcaCaf is different as well. So uh, maybe you see that all fused together now in the Galazzo channel presentation. But um, to CBS's credit, I think they've taken each product, they've tried to understand the market for each product, and they understand soccer is not this all-encompassing thing where everybody watches everything. There are these niches, there are these. there's a lot of tribalism around the sport in this country. And they have created a unique feel for each product, uh, whether it 's a good feel or a bad feel that 's up to the viewer, but they have created a unique uh, feel for each uh, each right each set of rights that they have
0: out of all of the the different sports uh, TV networks um, i mean specifically to soccer, CBS sports is the one that 's shaking things up a lot more right b in sports' studio looks the same now as it did maybe like five years ago. Same thing with ESPN. Same thing with NBC. I mean, it, but I mean, they're doing things differently behind the scenes. Um, I mean, so so CBS is definitely uh, changing things, mixing things up, trying new things. And and I think the Golasa Network as a concept, again, I think it's a great concept. Uh, Morning Footy, the show, again, it's still it's 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 a challenge to really try to uh, entertain, inform, and hold the audience. When you talk about the tribalism, Kartik, where you mean there's a lot of fans, there are USMNT fans that do not watch MLS, but they watch the Premier League. So when you talk about MLS on a Golasa network on on, uh, Morning Footy, are you losing your audience? Are they tuning out? Are they like, ah, I'm done with this show? Vice versa, too. There's a lot of uh, MLS fans that are like, very sensitive to any criticism about the league. It's like ah, those are MLS haters. They, they stay away from that show. I don't want the. I don't. I don't want if they talk about Rexham. I'm out. I'm out of here. So, so I think the Golazo Network and Morning Footy specifically, they've they've come a long way in, in a couple of weeks, and I think that they're trying things. And, and when I do watch the show, some of the segments, I'm like, oh, this this is this is pretty. I don't know, boring. Uh, other segments I'm like oh wow okay that's good that's really interesting and and I think a lot of it too so I, I lean towards Nico Canto as kind of the expert on the show and his opinions align with mine and then when I hear Charlie Davis sometimes with his opinions I'm like oh my gosh he, he doesn't get it he's like so in the tank for whether it's MLS or USMNT but however I would say that he has grown In a couple of weeks, so he's talking about topics that I never knew that he had uh, any knowledge or experience in, and I think part of that too is with uh, with uh, CBS Sports. Charlie Davis was used for for the most part for the last couple of years, really on the on the CONCACAF Nations League coverage, on the USMNT uh, coverage, and I thought that uh, when they had that and showed those games, or they still have it, when they showed those games. Clint Dempsey was the one that kind of had the honest, critical analysis. And Charlie was the one that had very much in the tank about USMNT and MLS and kind of defending them, being kind of a little bit uh, defensive or a little bit sensitive to any criticism of of any players. I'll I'll give full credit uh, to CBS Sports and the Glasser Network and Morning Footy for for trying different things. Um, There's a lot of things that can be improved with that show that they should be doing that they're not doing and uh, but I'm, I'm interested to see where it goes from here
1: one thing I should point out real quickly Is that ESPN has added uh, Which uh, people who subscribe to the ESPN FC YouTube channel have probably seen These YouTube quick reactions after matches uh, Generally hosted by Kay Murray Sometimes it's Mark Donaldson uh, Giannis McCulloch who I, I love Who I think is one of the best in the business Is usually on uh, as one of the analysts And uh, uh, sometimes uh, uh, Luis Miguel Echeverri also Who's very good So they have added that uh, to their U- team presence, which is something innovative, something new, something I think is really good, something I watch, uh, but I'm not sure many people know about it, Chris. So they have changed a little bit, but maybe they haven't promoted that as well as they need to.
0: Well, that's that's the thing about the, the uh, Golazo Network is I think it's a really smart concept because it is free, uh, or if you subscribe to Paramount Plus, it's included in there too. So it's more accessible. If you want to, you can go to CBSSports.com and watch it for free on there. Uh, And it opens you up to a whole bunch of other coverage or a whole bunch of other hosts that they have. And sometimes ESPN is so so big and there's so many different things going on that uh, I I probably missed those YouTube clips and and those kind of uh, uh, quick reactions. What I would say with ESPN and and some of the ways that they are better in, in some categories than CBS Sports are those expert opinions. So whether it's uh, Mark Ogden, or whether it's Gab McCarty, uh, whether it's uh, Craig Burley, Steve Nichol, uh, you go down the list, right? There's there's a lot of people with a lot of really, really good uh, insights into the game, former players. And you look at, say, Morning Footy as an example, and kind of their analysis of a show, there's only one of those uh, people on that on that crew that, that's a, a former player. The rest of them are, are pundits like ourselves. But yeah, I think it's 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 exciting times, really, right now to be a soccer fan. So having all of the different options available to us in terms of different shows, different types of shows, different streaming services. You mean whether it's a, a Sling TV or or a Fubo or you mean Paramount Plus, uh, Peacock, etc. Even even going to the HBO Max, right? HBO Max uh, showing this week the uh, U.S. Men's National Team game against Mexico. Uh, having that game available uh, through streaming there, as well as on TBS, as well as on Telemundo, uh, Universo, Peacock, etc. So there's so many options. At, at, and that's really kind of where we focus a lot of our time and energy is trying to make it as simple as possible to let people know how to watch the games and to to, to kind of steer them in, in, a, in a direction of, of watching some of these matches or, or telling them about where you can watch this coverage. Speaking of that, Karthik, <laughs> uh, one of the things I, I'm interested in, and for a lot of listeners probably listening to the show right now, uh, this may be old news by the time they listen to the show, but I I, I really think in terms of Wrexham uh, AFC, um, it's probably one of the best times to be... I'm, I'm not a Wrexham supporter, but it's one of the best times to be following Wrexham because I think they're, every single thing that they're doing, both on the pitch and off the pitch, is is it's, it's perfect right it's perfection and we have this weekend this game uh wrexham against boreham woods on saturday i think it's one thirty eastern time um and available through streaming through national league tv so you, you have to pay to watch the game but if they win this game they're through automatic promotion uh winning the title and into league two if they do make it kartik I mean, and at this point, hopefully hopefully they don't screw up and, and miss out and Notts County wins the title. If they do make it into League Two, what, is, what does that future look like for a, uh, a Wrexham AFC supporter uh, or, or someone interested in the club watching that league from the United States? What will that experience be like in League Two? Will it be better than what it is in the National League uh, as it is now?
1: Well, I'm not pulling for either side. I have to preface it by that, because Knotts County was one of the 12 original clubs in the Football League, and I want to see them back in the Football League. So uh, I, I, good luck to Wrexham, but also good luck to Knotts County. Uh, what it will be like for the side that's uh, promoted, uh, presumably Wrexham in this case, is you can buy an iFollow subscription to see every match uh, streaming. Sometimes the streaming quality isn't so good. I'm going to uh, warn about that, um, but you can buy an iFollow. Subscription and occasionally, particularly during international breaks, if you're in the United States, matches from League Two are on ESPN Plus. Although my sense is because it's Wrexham and obviously the ties between Wrexham and Disney, you might see uh, more games broadcast on ESPN Plus, and you might see maybe some games on linear, perhaps like we saw during the FA Cup run this year. Another thing to look for is the football league has gotten better with clipping highlights and putting. Them on YouTube in the last six to eight months. They used to be terrible at this. They would only clip the highlights of the games that were uh, broadcast internationally. Right, the one match per week on on uh, uh, from League Two, the one match per week from League One, the the, the three or four from the Championship. So. What they are doing now is they're taking highlights from the iFollow without graphics. I have to admit, it, you know, you're going to have to watch the whole highlights package to even know what's going on in the match because there's no score bug in the corner, etc. Uh, but they are clipping highlights and you, you can find highlights now on YouTube of just about every football league match, which wasn't the case even a year ago.
0: Yeah, we don't want to jump too far into the future, but uh, but I will. <laughs> and that is if Wrexham does get promoted uh, to League Two, if they do decide to go ahead and uh, make games available through iFollow, uh, which is in partnership with the uh, English Football League, with that streaming service is that it will cost um, the average soccer fan in the, United, in the United States probably anywhere between $150 and $250 a season to subscribe to that, to be able to watch every single home and away game, except for those games that do show up on ESPN+, Plus, which might be one or two games a month, um, very few as the, as of right now. But like you said, Kartik, too, um, maybe Disney puts the pressure on the English Football League and says, like, hey, you I mean this is an opportunity to really kind of promote League Two. Notts County, I would argue, has gotten more publicity this season uh, because of Wrexham and hopefully not Notts County. Yeah, I-, I agree with you. Hopefully, they'll go up too. Maybe, maybe it'll be through the playoffs. Um, hopefully, I'd love to see them back in, in the Football League. So, um, the other thing about this Wrexham thing though, too, if they decide to not go with I Follow, if they wanted to. They could set up their own uh, streaming service outside of iFollow and say, "Okay, we're going to go ahead and show all the games. We're going to basically handle all of the streaming ourselves. Obviously, probably outsourcing it to somebody and charge a different price and include different coverage and features and and footage." That's that's a possibility if they wanted to do that. uh, However, if they were thinking about doing that, they would have would have probably would have had to start making plans. Uh, well in advance to be ready to be able to actually handle that so in some ways with the national league uh, tv i mean to watch this game against wrexham against boreham woods on saturday if you subscribe on the day for national league tv it's it's nine pounds i think it is um which is roughly about uh eleven dollars and you get to, to what if you want to you can watch all the games on the national league tv on saturday um, as opposed to I Follow, which usually, for me, for example, as, as a fan of Swansea City, if I want to do on a single game, it's it's basically eleven dollars just for one game. But yeah, it, it'll be uh, definitely fascinating to see what Wrexham does if and when they get promoted. Classic uh, big news this week from uh, US Soccer, and that is that uh, they and uh, the Mexican FMF have uh, filed a joint bid. Uh, to co-host the Women's World Cup in 2027. Now, if successful, if FIFA uh, agrees with us and and, uh, gives the uh, 2027 Women's World Cup to the U.S. and Mexico, um, the decision is is expected next year. But this would mean something historic. We would have the the Men's World Cup in 2026 hosted in uh, the U.S. as well as Mexico and Canada, 2027 would be U.S. and Mexico, and then 2028 is the Summer Olympics in Los Angeles. Um, what for you? When you think about the possibility of having these three tournaments back to back to back, what are the possibilities? I mean, other than generating huge amounts of revenue for FIFA, um, is it could this change something in the United States in terms of soccer at all?
1: I mean maybe. I, I I think the bottom line is it's there to generate huge revenue for FIFA, as you said. Um I I, I suppose that there will be a bit of a, a bounce from the World Cup, the men's world cup in twenty twenty six. Uh we saw um uh, a bounce from the 1999 Women's World Cup, uh, but we did not see one from the 2003 World, um, Women's World Cup, which was supposed to be in, uh, um, in China, got moved because of the SARS uh, pandemic, got moved to the United States uh, at late notice. The timings were kind of odd. So um, we did not uh, 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 get the kind of bounce out of that tournament we expected. I think there was a slight bounce. Out of the 2016 um, Copa America that was hosted in the United States. But I think the bigger bounces, Chris, actually, uh, uh, and, and I'm not, I, and I personally have a problem with all, I'll preface this by saying I personally have a problem with all these summer friendlies because I think player health and welfare is now becoming an issue and additional games, additional travel, I don't think it's good. But um, I think there's been a bigger bounce for general interest in the sport. On the basis of summer friendlies hosted in the United States, than summer international tournaments recently. Now that could change again, because we're talking about a men's World Cup and potentially a women's World Cup in back to back years, uh, and obviously a Copa America also in 2024. So that's three out of four summers. Um, with international tournaments that that might change it but right now i would say actually these friendlies um and uh european clubs touring so when south american clubs come that's done more to kind of um because i think uh, the international game has already ca- ca- captured kind of the uh the general sports fan and they're only interested in that or in tournaments the um hardcore soccer fan has been cre- uh, captured and created or, or stimulated by summer friendlies
0: yeah, that's interesting you mentioned that, Kartik because it's uh, contrary to other people's opinions, right? A lot of people out there say like, ah, I mean, uh, these summer friendlies, what a waste of time. Only the C team shows up. Uh, nobody cares about them. And the reality is, you know, and I know, it, we've seen it firsthand uh, in the International Champions Cup, which seems to have basically disappeared now because it's been replaced by the League's Cup. As well as uh, other tournaments or other competitions, I think the leagues, like the, actual, the actual teams, have gotten smarter. Some of them are going out on their own, knowing probably learned a lot of lessons from the International Champions Cup and saying, "Hey, if we're Manchester United, we can go ahead and uh, do a tour ourselves. We'll play um, our academy team. will play Wrexham. Our full, first team will play uh, Borussia Dortmund in Las Vegas." And we're going to announce a couple other major friendlies and and actually probably generate more money that way, perhaps, or or at least uh, be more in control. And I think um, but we've seen those sold out stadiums. I was at the uh, Real Madrid against Manchester United game at uh, the University of Michigan all those years ago when it set a record uh, soccer attendance ever in this country. And having said all of that, and you and I know that Kartik, but there's still a lot of people out there that really dismiss some friendlies and say like, ah, you mean this is? It's basically kind of um, bandwagoners or just people jumping on on this thing. And and you saw it last summer too, right? The Chelsea against Arsenal game in Orlando, and just the the passion and 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 all of these Arsenal fans that have come from across the country to come to a game to watch a game to see them in person and see at that time how they completely were so much better than Chelsea. And you and I were talking about, I think, what, in July uh, or August, as soon as the season started, our concerns about Chelsea. And there were a lot of people on Twitter that came after us saying, like, ah, you guys are just Chelsea haters. And we're like, no, this is what we're seeing. We're seeing, we're seeing faults in this Chelsea side, um, so on and so forth. So it, it is interesting, right? Because I think uh, I agree with you. I think, yeah, definitely these, these club friendlies, uh, yes, they generate a lot of money for the clubs, but also they do build a lot of, uh, of fans. And I've seen that personally um, from from my experience too, where it has created fans. It has uh, made soccer fans like that club because they came over and they continue to come over and they feel a connection. And with the international teams, yeah, definitely U.S. men's national team, et cetera, um, that builds fan bases too, but how often do we get to see the U.S. Men's National Team? Right, we saw them in January play a couple of friendlies against Colombia and Serbia. We saw them this week play a friendly against Mexico. Well,
1: I mean, you have to, you have to. You have to rob a bank to go see the U.S. men's national team play in person. I mean, I, that's that's the reality of the ticket prices. I mean, the U.S. Soccer Federation charges more for uh, meaningless friendlies uh, for the, the U.S. men than France charges uh, the world cha- – or they were the world champions, right? They got to the finals this year, uh, uh, but uh, to the fi- World Cup final. But you know, one of the great – the elite footballing nation charges for qualifiers, UEFA, uh, Euro qualifiers or World Cup qualifiers. So let's put that in context, right? I mean, part of it is that uh, supporting the U.S. men's national team has become a, a very elite thing and there's no kind of participatory culture in it like there is for these Arsenal fans. You know, a lot of these Arsenal fans I talked about in Orlando, they didn't actually go to the match, right? They, they didn't actually go to the Citrus Bowl that night. They were there to partake in the club culture, the rituals, the customs, uh, and it didn't matter what players played for them, right? Again, this is the other thing. When people say, oh, well, They send C-teams. Okay, they send C-teams, but they're still wearing the Arsenal kits. They're still doing the Arsenal things. And again, I personally don't like these friendlies because I think we're at a point where there are too many games. There's too much travel. I wish we would just call a timeout during the summer. But the reality is they're doing – I'm trying to just be objective here. They're doing more from my perspective, from observing this objectively, to build – Uh, support for football, support for soccer in the United States than uh, these international matches in the U.S. men's national team are. I mean, in fact, I don't don't know that the U.S. men's national team has uh, done anything to really grow the game in the United States other than create a generation of kind of jaded Toxic social media presence, fans. I don't think actually in the ma- it, 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 when if you go throughout the country uh, that and you talk to soccer fans that they're they're focusing on the next USMNT friendly or they're only watching Borussia Munchen highlights because Joe Scaly plays for them, right? I think that's a ver- that's a niche thing that's overrepresented on well, it's social a media.
0: Niche thing that's also, also overrepresented on uh, CBS Sports Schalke network too, because a lot of the coverage, well, not a lot, some of the coverage is, is kind of uh, centers on that and and that's something that i think we've written about or talked about before where i think it's uh it's uh social media sometimes driving content and and, and i don't like that i mean cuz i think it's one of those things that um it's misguided it's uh that that's part of the 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 footy morning uh, morning footy show i don't like is where it goes down that rabbit hole where it's like, "Come on, guys! You mean yes? There are, are there are USMNT fans that only watch um, Borussia Dortmund or only watch Frankfurt because of one player on, on the pitch." But that is not the majority. That they're, they're not even watching the Frankfurt or Borussia Dortmund games, honestly, right. Chris. They're watching highlights, and then they're
1: exaggerating the quality of that American player because the highlights have been selectively cut. I mean, it's it's unbelievable, and I don't know how these people can uh, make judgments about club football and players when the only thing they're concerned about is a U.S. friendly three months down the road.
0: So, what I would say that so kind of circling back to what we talked about uh, a minute ago is for the possibility right, of the Women's World Cup coming in 2027 to here, plus we have know we've got the 2026 World Cup and we've got the 2028 Summer Olympics, there is an opportunity here to really grow the game because you mentioned that the US MNT are really not growing the game. But from the, the amount of revenue that's going to be generated from these competitions, most of it go into FIFA, uh, a lot of it going into the US economy, but there will be a lot of revenue coming in for, for US soccer. They need to make seismic changes to improve this game in the, in the United States. Um, they really need to kind of think about, okay, what is this going to do for us? Other than to, to basically kind of pay the legal bills on, on a lot of these lawsuits, but, but to thinking for the future. Because for the 1994 World Cup, um, the money that came in, the millions that came in from that, that started Major League Soccer. Uh, you mentioned the, 2020, uh, the 2003 Women's World Cup. That was you know, almost tw- 24 years ago by the time 2027 uh, rolls around. Um, so there's opportunities to go ahead and, and take that money and do, and do something and, and, and positive by the, with it by, by the way to your point right
1: right to your point the 2016 Copa America we saw how much money because US Soccer's records Republic, public uh, we saw how much money that put in the US uh, Soccer Federation's coffers and most of that money ended up being redirected and repurposed to, to, to handling lawsuits so it gave the US Soccer a huge surplus uh, and then an incredible amount of money i I, I wish I had the, the financial report in front of me. I could tell you how much. But it was a, a lot of money. And then we saw legal fees because of all these these uh, antitrust lawsuits and, and equal pay the, uh, lawsuits and, and and such that the U.S. So- US soccer had to then uh, was a defendant in. And that money could have been put to grassroots soccer. It could have been put toward promoting the U.S. Open Cup, making the U.S. Open Cup a more viable competition, which I think should be the first responsibility of this federation. Instead, it went to def, uh, being defendants in lawsuits because shareholder, again, I want to stress this, stakeholders in the game, leagues, whether it's NASL, players, whether it's a, when it's the U.S. women, um, other entities involved in the sport, like relevant sports, clubs, when it was Miami FC and, and, and Stockade FC, uh, obviously I, I, I prefaced uh, this by saying I worked for Miami FC at the time, had to uh, enter litigation against the federation because of the way they were doing business. So, um, this surplus the money they make from these competitions could go uh be repurposed in the wrong directions if they don't shape up
0: yeah or or vice versa it could go in the right direction if they do shape up and realize what changes they need to make to to really help grow this game in the future because there's a lot that needs to be fixed um so yeah hopefully we'll, we'll talk about more of this more of this in in future episodes uh one quick Thing in the TV streaming news context before we go on to the listener mailbag, and that is some great news from um, CBS Sports Golasso Network. Uh, I'll I'll let you uh, uh, tell the listeners about that.
1: Yeah, so CBS Sports is going to be showing on the Golasso Channel the Women's Champions League semifinals. which, and, and the final uh, But the semifinals more immediately Which is really exciting Because uh, we've been forced to watch it On uh, on zone's YouTube channel to this point uh, So Chelsea-Barcelona Which uh, by the time folks listen to this That mat- the first leg might have taken place uh, That's Saturday the 22nd At 7.30 a.m. Eastern Wolfsburg-Arsenal first leg Is Sunday the 22nd At 9.30 a.m. Eastern time uh, And then the second legs Are April 27th uh, In the uh, Chelsea-Barcelona Barcelona uh, tie and in the Wolfsburg Arsenal tie, it's May first. Those kickoff times are both 12:45 p.m. Eastern, and CBS bringing it live on the Golazo channel. Uh, Women's Champions League is kind of where it's at now in women's uh, club uh, football. So uh, I know a lot of people in the United States uh, uh, continue to say NWSL is the best league in the world. It's the highest standard. Uh, Maybe we'll get a more definitive uh, reading on that this summer, the Women's World Cup. But uh, Women's Champions League is fantastic. I recommend everybody check it out.
0: All right, let's move on to listener mailbag. First up uh, to talk about MLS Season Pass is uh, NPOB1. Uh, he says, or he, he or she says, uh, MLS season pass is also competing against XFL and USL FL uh, football. On top of that, none of the ESPN websites are mentioning uh, MLS. Dave says, uh, enjoyable discussion, lots of interesting listener comments on MLS and Apple. A few reactions to last week's episode. Number one, many many issues with men's soccer in the U.S. are due to U.S.S.F., uh, U.S. Soccer F- uh, Federation failures. There is a tried and true global model for player development, domestic leagues, and national teams. Of course, uh, adaptations are needed be- based on dynamics in a given country, but it is different in the U.S., is too often an excuse to discount everything that works elsewhere. The U.S. soccer model is very favorable to a subset of wealthy, powerful, entrenched interests, so we are probably stuck with it. Number two, I read in several places the theory that Apple may have signed MLS mainly to get the affluent core MLS fan base more entrenched in the high-margin Apple ecosystem. I sort of discounted that as too cynical, but it is fascinating, Kartik heard the same from an industry insider. If I was a MLS owner, I would be irate if that rumor was true. Number three, several, commenter, uh, s- several uh, commenters... Uh, Noted, long and largely meaningless regular seasons followed by bloated playoffs are a staple of U.S. uh, mainstream sports. Fun to hear Kartik's reaction to learning 20 of the 30 NBA teams make the, the postseason, even as only 16 of 30 NBA teams make the full playoffs. Uh, next up is Nick. Nick says, "I'm grateful that you're back on the podcast, but saddened to hear the reasons for the break. I wish Kartik and his family all the best, and hope your dad is able to get well soon." I have to agree with a lot of the listener f- uh, feedback from last week on MLS. I've been thinking about why I might why I myself watch very little MLS, and for me, it boils down to the fact that my opinion that in my opinion, MLS offers very little that I can't find elsewhere, either with better quality or for cheaper. If I'm a soccer fan, I'm I'm going to prioritize the quality and higher stakes of any given European league or cup match. If I'm a soccer-curious US sports fan, I will likely still lean towards European games, as MLS clashes with larger US sports leagues, except for a few summer months, and the subscriptions for European competitions are far cheaper. If, I, if I'm a USMNT fan, most of the top players I'm in, uh, most interested in uh, play in Europe anyway. The only two things that MLS offers that I can't find elsewhere are, number one, the ability to see games in person, and number two, the ability to see live games on TV in prime time. For me, the first point is irrelev- irre- irrelevant, as I live in the New York metro area. Uh, the New York Red Bulls play an hour and a half away, which is too inconvenient, and I'm frankly not interested in watching games on a shrunken field at a baseball stadium on any regular basis. Going to games in person only applies to, uh, to maybe 100,000 a, a people in each market anyway. The second point for me is also not a strong enough reason to watch MLS, as I will either get my soccer fix watching live matches from Europe in the, in the morning or early afternoon, and then do something else in the evening. Or if I'm not able to watch live matches, I will watch recorded matches and or highlights in the evening in place of MLS. Bottom line is for me personally, MLS does not offer anything compelling enough for me to watch on a regular basis that I can't find a better, cheaper version of elsewhere. This is just my personal experience, but I don't think I'm alone in feeling this way. And taking most games off of regular TV coupled with the price tag of the uh, the MLS Apple deal won't help get people uh, in my boat interested. I buy the points you guys have been making about production quality, and perhaps if they offered a d- discounted subscription for just the whip around Show, similar to NFL Red Zone, I'd be interested. But without that, it's a non-starter for me. Karthik, uh, your thoughts? Yeah,
1: first off, thank you for the well wishes, Nick. Um, I agree, yeah. I think that we're in the... Um, position where unless you have some sort of vested interest In the club As a supporter uh, MLS just isn't very appealing Particularly in larger markets And this is something that I've observed for years The best The markets where MLS does the best Atlanta being an exception right? Because Atlanta is a huge television market And they've done great there Credit to them Uh, But outside of that The markets that MLS does best Are Portland Salt Lake City Kansas City Uh, Although Kansas City is a competitive sports market It's also a small market Uh, Now St. Louis Which is a uh, again competitive sports market but a small market uh, uh, Nashville not that huge a market uh, Orlando at one time Uh the bigger markets, MLS really struggles in. The, the, the top TV markets, uh, top largest urban areas in the country, Philadelphia, uh, they've done okay, but they're still uh, down uh, the pecking order there. New York, they're not doing particularly well. Boston, they're not doing well. Los Angeles, I don't care how good LAFC is, there's still a blip there. Uh, the San Francisco Bay Area, they've never registered. Uh, Miami, uh, Houston, uh, again, Dallas, huge uh, metro areas, huge urban areas, they don't do very well in. So, uh, I think that uh, Nick, you're on to something, and uh, maybe it's places where it's more it's more convenient to get to the stadium. Maybe there's more uh, of a local pride factor involved that they do well, and they do well in those places. Nashville's been great, right? Charlotte's going pretty well so far. Um, uh, but I, but like I said, I think that with the except, oh, Chicago is the most notable one, right? A huge market where they just are nothing in, um, with the exception of Atlanta. Uh, Basically, it's the smaller markets where MLS does really well. And I think that that's pretty telling.
0: Yeah, there's a few things about this, Kartik, I I think, first of all, I think for MLS fans, it's time to stand up and be counted. So if you do support MLS and you're you're a fan of an MLS team, um, subscribe to MLS Season Pass because – that's really pretty much the the only way to to watch uh, the vast majority of games, or actually all of the games. Uh, you can get watch a game now and again, maybe one a weekend on Fox. But um, so so at the end of the day, those MLS season pass subscriber numbers will be very telling. We may we may ne- never see those numbers, what those numbers are, uh, which is convenient because I mean if they were massive numbers. Netflix does report numbers at times, so does ESPN Plus at times, so does Peacock at times. When those numbers are good enough, and and uh, I get calls from public relations uh, people from those companies saying like, hey, Chris, just FYI, uh, Peacock last week, which actually the Liverpool Arsenal game, Karthik, just to give you a, a, an idea, the Liverpool get into Arsenal game, which was um, exclusively on Peacock, well, a couple of weeks ago now, had... Eight hundred and forty thousand people that 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 watch that game on Peacock. Peacock alone, so it is possible to have massive numbers watching soccer on a streaming service. Um, so if those numbers are good enough with MLS and, and Apple, they will report those numbers. If they don't, it's it's, it's an uncomfortable truth there. I think the other thing about um, MLS in terms of uh, this season too is that I mean. What's there to look forward to? So I've mentioned on previous uh, episodes uh, maybe a big signing, right? Maybe a Messi or or someone of, of that level. Um, but then you're you're riding the coattails of that player to watch the league. The same thing for League's Cup. League's Cup, I mean, MLS is riding the coattails of Liga meki's fans. They know how many Liga meki's fans are out there, how passionate they are about their team, about their country. Um about those players. They are hardcore of the hardcore. And with that comes massive numbers to watch those games. So MLS, in many ways, smartly doing good business, d- did the deal with uh, Liga MX because they know what that fan base can bring uh, in revenue and subscriptions to MLS season pass. But again, it's MLS riding the coattails of, of Liga MX. Outside of that, yes, I would say let's look forward to the playoffs and, and the MLS Cup final, see how it goes. But it's a bad time of the, of the year in terms of the calendar. Um, so we, we've talked about these things uh, many, many times in the past. Nothing changes. However, I really think that MLS needs to you mean, attack these issues and, and actually kind of confront them and be honest with themselves. Next up, uh, talking about the Champions League, and we talked before about uh, CBS's coverage of the Champions League. Corey says, thanks to Chris for getting on CBS for the studio hijinks during the Champions League pregame coverage, which, which has become unbearable. As a a fan invested in the big knockout matches the past two weeks, having to sit through their forced chuckles and staged irrelevant topics while squeezing in short bursts of simple analysis between commercials was a very frustrating experience. Maybe this works for casual fans or would be better as a post-game experience. Uh, See uh, NBA on TNT or ESPN FC extra time. In its current form, the emotions of a European night at electric sold-out stadiums are getting trampled by forced segments would not recommend. So I wouldn't go that far as far as not recommending it but for me personally the way I experience the Champions League is I'm actually watching different things at the same time. So I'll be watching the pre-game coverage on uh, Paramount Plus from I mean Kate and Jamie and Thierry etc M- Mika um, but then maybe during a commercial break, I'm, I'm listening to the BBC or Sky Sports or or uh, SiriusXM or Talk Sport and, and trying to take in all of the different bits and pieces or, or on social media, too, looking at different clips as far as what's happening in the stadiums. And oftentimes I'm finding myself learning more or finding out more information from those other sources than CBS because CBS has spoke, focused so much time on kind of the entertainment feature, right? It's it's almost it's all about them. It's not so much about the games. The games are kind of like secondary. Just the way it's been treated, uh, a lot of it is about the personalities, and those personalities are great, right? I mean, I I'd say all of those. I mean, Kate, um, Micah, Thierry, and Jamie are all people that we respect in different ways as professionals. Um, they have fun, definitely. Um, But it is, again, going back to the very beginning of this show, it's very hit and miss. I mean, some of it is good. Some of it's bad. Some of it's it is entertaining. Some of it's I'll uh, turn off and watch something else instead. Um, But it gets us talking about it. All right. Lower League Soccer, Kartik. Uh, We we got a lot of feedback from listeners uh, discussing uh, last week's uh, podcast about Lower League Soccer. Danny Hatsune says, U.S. lower division soccer is all dead unless you buy your way into MLS. Without ProRel, watching soccer in the U.S. is useless. Teams fold left and right, and USL has no exposure thanks to being behind a paywall. I'd rather support real teams that play in real leagues. So I want to get your feedback on that, Kartik, too, um, as well as... I know you got some heat uh, for last week's comments about uh, USL in particular in terms of the quality level. I just, want, just want to give you an opportunity to kind of talk about that if you want to, uh, as well as to, to address uh, Danny's uh, comments about uh, watching, uh, he'd rather watch real teams play in real leagues.
1: Yeah, I, I, I get that, Danny, and I and I agree in the sense that the U.S. system is filled with uh, closed leagues that really don't follow FIFA rules, right? It's not just MLS that doesn't, honestly. Uh, I would include uh, every league in the United States has some sort of closed uh, franchise-based, uh, uh, league-driven uh, mechanism that, that prevents it from, from being as organic as it should be. Uh, that having been said, these clubs are very important to local markets. You see what Chattanooga FC which started as an adult amateur club in NPSL uh, around 2009, what they've done, uh, and they're now a professional club, but what they've done for their local community and the kind of support they've been able to sustain in that market and grow the sport and grow interest in the sport in, uh, in Tennessee. Uh, same sort of thing with Detroit City. Uh, there are countless examples of this. I know we're going to get into one of the examples in a minute with someone writing in the mailbag. Um, but in general, I want to make uh, a comment about some of the backlash I got for what I said on this podcast uh, earlier in the week, which really – surprise me, uh, but actually it shouldn't have surprised me. I, I, I know the subset we're dealing with. Um, for me, constructive critiques are important. Uh, we want the product to succeed. I want USL. I really want USL to succeed. I'm, I'm, a, uh, I'm a lower division guy, as I think many of you know, and in terms of my orientation to the sport in this country. Um, and the reality is uh, for those of us on this podcast, Chris and I, uh, and so many of our listeners and other people involved with World Soccer Talk, we care enough about lower division soccer to actually make the critical suggestions that should uh, uh, make people uh, think more about how they can grow these leagues and their local clubs. If you don't like those suggestions, I, quite frankly, I think maybe you're living in a bubble and, and think that um, USL or NISA or whatever league we're talking about, NPSL is much bigger than it is. and has a much bigger fan base than it does. Um, in the bigger scheme of things, uh, these products have to market themselves better. USL has to market itself better. NISA has to market itself better. NPSL, I've seen uh, um, uh, backslide the last couple seasons, quite frankly, and I think any uh, you talk to anyone objectively within, The industry, they agree with that. UPSL, same thing. Um, I'll say I've seen serious improvement in NISA this year, um, both on the pitch and uh, in terms of their marketing. But they're still a long way away and have to continue to improve. And we're going to continue to make those critiques so they do improve. Um, If you're a lower division fan or involved in lower division soccer in this country, you need to stay humble and hungry. Uh, If not, uh, you're going to have the same arrogance and entitlement. You're going to reflect the same arrogance and entitlement that's so often lower division fans fans claim MLS fans and the media and people involved in MLS have. Yeah. You're showing some of the same characteristics if you don't uh, take these constructive critiques and try and build on them.
0: I'm very curious, Kartik, um, what the plans are for USL, NISA, NPSL, uh, MLS Next Pro, et cetera, et cetera. all, All of the lower league divisions in the United States based on 2026, 2027, and, and to some some regards, 2028, 20, What? how are they going to take advantage of these opportunities that are coming to them? What is U.S. soccer going to do to make sure or to try to help uh, organize this together, create a system or, or whatever it may be, right? Um, there's opportunities here for the leagues and for the U.S. Soccer Federation to really correct things, I mean, Make things better, improve things, um, make it so that there is more interest from the lower leagues all the way up to the top leagues. You mean, in some markets in the United States, as it is right now, um, there may not, may not be a local team. Or if there is a local team, uh, what is their pathway to grow as a club through the different divisions? Is there a pathway at all? Why should someone be invested, mean, not money wise, but with their time and energy in a local club? So there needs to be meaning there. Uh, there needs to be a reason to exist, a reason to, you mean, to work hard, to you mean, to to focus and, and improve on the pitch, and how that helps the whole system in general, in the United States.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, it's been 58 months since uh, the U.S. was awarded hosting rights for the 2026 World Cup. And I had hoped by now and I granted COVID was in the middle of that. So maybe that's an asterisk. But I had hoped by now we would have much more comprehensive and constructive plans from either the stakeholders, the leagues themselves uh, or the federation, preferably the federation, as to here is our blueprint for how we're going to take the uh, increased exposure and enthusiasm around the 2026 FIFA World Cup and translated to uh, improving the pyramid and improving uh, the pathway to pro and both the youth and professional game um, and college game, quite frankly, in in the United States. Nothing. Haven't seen anything. 58 months. Um, It seems like they just want to collect the money, uh, go to the bank with it, and then uh, hopefully spend it on on good things. But maybe it will be spent defending themselves from lawsuits again.
0: You mentioned uh, Greg's comment. So that this read uh, Greg's comment. He says, a "Very good discussion last week. Uh, good points uh, are all around about what makes lower leagues successful." I used to live in San Francisco, and there are decent, inexpensive lower league options. Uh, San-, San Francisco City FC, which plays in USL League Two, is a majority owned by supporters through a uh, inexpensive uh, annual fee, which gets you a ticket to every home match, a scarf which you get to uh, vote on the design for, and a free beverage and food at one match. Uh, At least they did last year when I had a membership. Um, They play in the 49ers' uh, first stadium in the middle of the city. Easy to get to by bike or transit. Individual match tickets aren't that expensive. And there's local beer and food vendors. Uh, the quality of play isn 't the highest, but it 's easy fun and cheap and uh, to go to a match and They really connect with supporter members across the bay uh, is Oakland Roots, who do a good job with vibe those matches are fun i 'm told though sadly i don 't i didn 't get to go uh, to one when when I was living there there 's another team starting up in o- Oakland as well. And there's uh, tons of good quality amateur leagues filled with Central South American immigrants, ex-college players, etc. Here in Denmark, where I, where I now live, the main team I go to plays in the second division. The first match I was able to get uh, get to, I got in for free uh, from a coupon on, on the front cover of the local uh, free weekly newspaper. I went to another match expecting to pay, but for some reason that was free also. There's plenty of food and beverage, the play is pretty good, and you can see the guys who are on the way up. I'd much rather go to these matches than FC Copenhagen, uh, though the uh, FC Copenhagen experience is a good top-flight play and atmosphere. But for a Sunday afternoon out, give me a sunny day with fun vibe, cheap tickets, and a beer. And I should
1: mention, uh, in reference to that, uh, Oakland Roots are one of the model teams. So I mentioned uh, Chattanooga and Detroit. Oakland is on their way to being that, uh, and they're one of the anchor teams, I would say, now of lower division soccer. Also, if you're in SF, uh, San Francisco City is wonderful. I agree with that. The SF Glens, uh, San Francisco Glens, also a team to, that's in USL League, too. They have a, t- a women's team in the W League. Uh, they're another uh, uh, side to keep an eye on. All
0: right, last comment for the day, and this is from Mercator, Uh, He says, another good discussion on the lower leagues, the real issue is and always will be money. The U.S. is not like Europe in this regards. Not only uh, is enthusiasm for the sport not quite at the same level, everything in America is absurdly expensive. I was just reading somewhere uh, some British person laughing on Twitter at how New York City FC will spend $800 million for a 25,000-seat stadium. I have family involved in a now third division club in Europe. Everyone is a volunteer or a, under uh, 15,000 uh, euros uh, a year. Uh, you can do that when people have health care from the state. The stadium where they play has been there for 100 years and the club doesn't, get, uh, doesn't want to get promoted to the top division because it would require stadium, stadium improvements that no one has the money for. They take uh, cheap tickets, uh, cheap train tickets to away matches, no real academy, just a smattering of unsubsidized youth teams made up of local kids, and if they are lucky, a talented immigrant who can make it uh, to a big club. It's not really a business because it will never, ever make money. In the U.S., it's completely different. You need to negotiate with a university or something to fi- even find a stadium to play in. Staff or part time or volunteers Me- uh, meeting an average of 40 to 50 to 60,000 salary uh, plus healthcare is not re- realistic for most. There will be no academy and way matches. Um, and um, yeah, there will be no uh, academy and away matches uh, involved flights for $800. Um, there is just an order of magnitude difference in cost right off the bat. America is not Europe with its hundreds of years of tradition and low-cost structure. In the U.S., you need money and tons of it to get anywhere. That is why uh, I think the top-down MLS model is the right approach, to be blunt with you. You need billions in investment to even get something like MLS um, to where it is right now. It's not clear where this investment would come from in a pyramid system. Even successful European leagues face severe funding and investment issues. And when funding does come, it comes to five to six teams, not really the full pyramid. MLS has a clear path and the funding to back it up for, for 30, probably 40 teams right now. You can see long run Uh, how that could get to 60, 70, or 80 teams, all with real stadiums, subsidized academies, and top-tier infrastructure. That sounds like a far, far better future when compared to a pyramid system where NYCFC, LA, and some oligarch in in Miami blow out the league on salaries and and infrastructure, while the other 75 clubs languish in university stadiums in front of 2,000 crows with zero real hope for investment or growth that's the reality of of most lower league teams everywhere on earth and that's in countries that are more enthusiastic about the sport generally than Americans wow mukatur dropping uh, dropping some major uh, hits there kartik uh do you agree for the most part with what he's saying
1: I agree with a lot of it. The, the, he, he's right about the, the business situation, and I've tried to make this uh, point clear to people who follow lower division soccer that sometimes uh, the costs involved are much higher than you think they are. So um, it, 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 to, to maintain any sort of staff, you have to spend a lot of money, and, and he's right, right? In, in Europe, where, you, where the countries all have socialized medicine or free health care, I don't like the term socialized medicine, actually, but uh, have, uh, have universal access to healthcare, uh, it's very different. You, you can pay less in salaries. They also have mass transit so people can get to work more easily. So they don't need, uh, all this money, uh, to, uh, I mean, part of the reason I needed the the salary I got when I worked at the NASL and worked at various clubs was because of the need to fill my car with gas and make, uh, long drives to places. Um, and he's absolutely right on the airfares. Travel costs kill lower division clubs. Um, I I do think that the cost of everything in the United States is absurd and that that drives it. At the same time, we have a situation where the U.S. Soccer Federation has generated a lot of revenue, as we've already talked about. And instead of investing that revenue in mitigating some of those costs for lower division teams and building a real pyramid and also um, allowing um, the U.S. Open Cup to go from being a a, a competition where the further you advance in the tournament, the the more money you lose uh, because you have to rent those stadiums, everything Markator mentioned, renting stadiums from the university. You also then have to pay for security. You have to market a game on short notice, which is usually midweek. Offsetting some of those costs and growing the sport in such a way with the money they've generated to where some of these costs can be mitigated. Instead, the money has been spent uh, uh, promoting the national teams and fighting off lawsuits. So, uh, promoting the national teams which probably need less promotion than the actual grassroots clubs that exist uh, 365 days a year uh, in, 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 in local markets. So, um, and I, I do, I will say, let me just say, uh, in fairness, U.S. soccer spent a lot of money subsidizing the women's game through NWSL uh, when it wasn't that economically viable. Now the league is, and U.S. soccer has stepped away. But they have not done that on the men's side, um, is the point. And uh, I, I think there are a lot of good points in what Mercator says. And yes, under the current structure, because of U.S soccer's uh, uh, being an absentee landlord, being completely a wall. yeah, maybe the MLS structure is the only thing that can work, given the economics of the United States and the cultural differences between it and Europe. However, it didn't have to be that way, and it still doesn't have to be that way, to kind of wrap a bow on this whole conversation we've had today, Chris. It doesn't have to be that way after the 2026 World Cup, when uh, at least we believe there'll be all this new revenue that comes in, and their coffers will be flush with all kinds of money that they don't have now.
0: Yeah, this is why I find the, the whole MLS season pass Apple TV deal so fascinating because Mercator says, uh, I think the top-down MLS model is the right approach. And he talks about um, seeing the league increase to, to 30, which we, we, we know will happen, uh, up to 40, uh, and maybe in the future 60, 70, or 80. The The part of it that I find fascinating is because MLS has lost all of that TV revenue except for the deal that they have uh, with Fox which is probably very minimal, if, if anything, in terms of what Fox is paying MLS. So a lot of the future growth of this league is dependent on expansion and also the success uh, of MLS Season Pass. And MLS Season Pass is, uh, from Apple, you're getting $250 million a year. But for year one, how much of that money that uh, MLS spent on production facilities, on talent, uh, as many as 100 people, And that's just uh, in front of the camera. There's all the people behind the the camera, all the expenses, all of the investment that they put into making this a success. um, At the end of the day, after the season's over, how much money did they make out of that $250 million if they had to spend uh, over $100 million on on just getting off the ground? Uh, It might even be much more than that. So the expansion part of it is fascinating because, yeah, so if a team comes in and they drop... Two hundred fifty million dollars a year to—I mean, two hundred fifty million dollars or more—to get an expansion team, um, that will happen with, with uh, you. Mean cities such as Las Vegas, etc. But you mean like what other? When you look at the United States, Kartik, um, where's the biggest opportunities? Right, San Diego is talking about having a team. So is Las Vegas. But outside of those two markets, and you look at the U.S. Where are the markets that are the biggest? Possibilities or opportunities for MLS to to get a uh, a new expansion uh, city or investment group to to pay that money? Like, where would you say would be next? Those those big cities. I think the biggest
1: metropolitan areas that don't have MLS teams, I believe, are uh, Detroit, uh, which uh, has three professional teams, actually, two NISA teams and a, and a USL team, USL team being the, 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 the really well-known one, right? Detroit City FC. Um, and then... Um, uh, uh, Tampa Bay market, I think, is a a really big market, uh, which uh, was one of the top markets in the old NASL, uh, did well in the new NASL and obviously now USL with the Rowdies. Uh, San Antonio, maybe too close to Austin. And then uh, you look at Sacramento. Right. That's a uh, huge metropolitan area, actually an even bigger TV market than San Diego, where um, they announced uh, that the Republic were moving up and now have backed off. And um, it's uh, it's a kind of sordid situation. Uh, Indianapolis is another one, potentially. But getting to 40 teams might require MLS, 40, 50 teams to actually do what I think does build. Interest in the sport locally, which is to have second teams and markets. So whenever we have derbies, and this was the concept of the NASL between us having a team in Miami and Fort Lauderdale, right? The Fort Lauderdale team was kind of the one of the anchor teams of the league, uh, but we also have eventually put a team in Miami because the idea was to have a derby, and that builds local interest. Um, and it's, uh, I think MLS is seeing the success of, of, of El Tráfico. Um, you want to build context and interest with local. Darby's. Now, um, if you're trying to fill out your television profile in terms of media markets, you want to go to as many big media markets as possible. So that then kind of cancels out the idea of doubling up in markets, right? So now that they're off of linear television well, – well, they have this Fox deal, right? But they're basically off of, uh, off of linear television. They're, they're doing uh, exclusively Apple TV and streaming. Maybe it lends itself to saying, hey, uh, maybe the Chicago Fire already does. But if we put another team in Chicago, Chicagoland area, we can develop some context. Hey, FC Dallas isn't doing well in Frisco. Maybe if we put a team in the Cotton Bowl, in Dallas itself, or we put a team in Fort Worth or some, some somewhere else in the area, Arlington, somewhere, we can build that context. I think that might be the, the way out of this for MLS. Um, otherwise, I think just adding more dots to the map, it hasn't done anything to move the national profile of the league. And I, I always thought the strategy for that other than getting the expansion fees, which is short term, right? Putting more money in short term and kind of uh, just kicking the can down the road was to increase your ability to get a good media deal because you've filled in all the dots that um, that media companies in the United States or, or linear television companies in the United States would be
0: interested in. Um, I, now that they're on Apple, that doesn't matter anymore. So I think maybe they go in a different direction. I would push back on, on the expansion though, can't that Because there have been successes, right? So you look at St. Louis City FC or sc whatever it is uh but you look also at also austin you look at uh, orlando you look at nashville um and and that was something we'd been crying out for a long time right as far as uh going back 10 years ago that there were so few teams in the southeastern united states and we got nashville uh, and atlanta as two case studies of uh really kind of filling that void and meeting the need there in those markets but but as far as like expansion though too so um Detroit, I still feel, is always going to be a uh, Detroit City uh, FC USL team or whatever league they're in. I mean, in the future, hopefully, it'll be USL. It, it's that the it would be difficult to really be a success in that market, given how popular and how much, uh, how much, how many roots they have in the city. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and that club, and that so to the point to the listeners who may not understand this, that club will never be an MLS club because of, uh, well, because of all the issues we discussed with MLS. Right there, uh, Detroit City is a very organic supporter-driven uh, entity, uh, very political also. So I, I, they, they would just never fit into MLS into the kind of box, uh, static culture of MLS. Yeah.
0: And then Indy, maybe Indianapolis would get something. I don't know. Just that, but that, uh, that's a possibility. Um, but uh, Sacramento, I mean, maybe MLS burnt that market, and and uh, the Sacramento ties. Maybe the fans wouldn't want to be back in uh, or have the opportunity to be back in MLS, and maybe they're they're happy where they're at. San Antonio, like you said, too, maybe a little bit too close to other markets. But outside of those, I just don't see. You I mean like the Mercator was mentioning like forty teams? Like what are those markets? Because I don't think there would be the investors. At this point, willing to fork over the money to go into a market that is unproven or, or is that you uh, mean is not going to be a success so that 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 's my concern there too so long term concern with uh, mls expansion is that that money's going to dry up at some point where there 's not going to be as many uh, cities or uh, investors willing to invest, and then at the same time too with mls season pass. I mean we know that there's a there's an opt out cl- clause
1: <laughs> I, I, I. I, I am telling you Chicago in particular is a place where there is a desire for another team other than the Fire who have done everything wrong, Starting uh, really since Andrew Hoffman bought the team. He obviously sold the team. But uh, Peter Wilt ran the team really well. Peter's the, the maestro of this stuff. But uh, that's why USL was talking to the Cubs about putting a team uh, in kind of the Wrigleyville era, era, area of Chicago. That's why NISA went into that market for a year. That's why, quite frankly, when I was at NASL, I was playing on Google Earth. Uh, uh, Derek Reese, who also works for World Soccer, and can attest this he and I would do it together looking for places in the Chicagoland area where we could stick a team uh, because the fire was so weak uh, I still think that that's a place where if you're MLS you stick another team okay you don't just rebrand the fire which I think they're going to do and say oh well we moved back into the city so it'll work now you put another team out in Naperville or, or uh, in the northern suburbs maybe out uh, maybe you put another team in Bridgeview for all I know that stadium's still there and the Red Stars still play there that's what I would do if I them, honestly.
0: Yeah, for me personally, I, I would say no to that. Only because, like, so, for example, if we take the case of uh, Inter Miami and Miami FC, uh, who both still exist right now, but both of them are poor teams going on, on a poor run of form, uh, not being success stories. I mean, yes, they're in different leagues. They will face each other next week in the U.S. Open Cup. But, you mean, there isn't a lot of, I um, mean, yes, there are two teams in a relatively regional same market, but we're not seeing that kind of that uh, increased interest because of that. But Chicago, I mean, Chicago now is playing at Soldier Field. They're playing in front of a, a stadium that's pretty empty for the most part. Uh, the team is pretty good. You've got Ezra Hendrickson as, as a coach. They're not a bad team. Uh, they've made mistakes. They're improving things. But just, just adding a team to that market, I don't think it's going – you need a strong team, first of all. You, you need a strong MLS team. And then maybe bring in, in another team then then to add some competition, such as you had in the past with LA Galaxy, perhaps back in the day when they were you know, one of the best teams in MLS. And then you add LAFC to that equation, and now all of a sudden LAFC makes LA Galaxy look bad in terms of um, you know kind of the the success on the, on the pitch. But yeah, good thoughts there, Kartik. Definitely, uh, and listeners, again, thank you so much for all of the listener ma- uh, mailbag uh, feedback there. If you do want to have your say. Uh, there's a bunch of different ways you can get in touch with us. So um, if you want to, you can leave a voicemail. Uh, that is 561-247-4625. You can send us an email. That is web at worldsoccertalk.com. You can go ahead and uh, on Twitter, uh, add us at uh, World Talk. Send us a message there. Facebook.com slash World Soccer Talk. And of course, worldsoccertalk.com. Uh, Click on the podcast in the main navigation, and then uh, leave your comments in the most recent episode, and we'd love to read those out uh, in a future episode. Karthik, what's going on with uh, Beyond the 90 and the Substack and uh, the developments with Twitter?
1: Yeah, so I'm I, uh, going to try and use Substack Notes as much as possible, although there isn't a critical mass of people on there. It's really kind of just influencers who are now just influencing one another because <laughs> I like people on Substack Notes. But, um, yeah, so uh, Beyond the 90 is on Substack. We just did a thing on Roberto De- De- Zerbi that I wanted to do earlier in the week, just didn't have the time. Uh, but uh, that's a conversation for another day. But read the article, uh, what he's doing at Brighton, what he did at Swallow before uh, tax. Talk- I mean, again, not necessarily from a result standpoint, but from a tactical standpoint, so interesting to watch Brighton today. Uh, and then at Twitter, I, I get the sense that there's a there's a real fatigue and anger about Elon Musk and some of the changes he's made, and and uh, uh, the blue check thing I think is kind of funny, um, and I should say that I actually pay for Twitter blue because I, I need to be able to edit my tweets because I make so many typos, um, and those of you who follow me on Twitter have seen uh, so many tweets over the years with typos that you guys have had to transcribe in your head because I've made mistakes. So Twitter Blue has allowed me the ability to go back and edit those, which is uh, what I'm grateful for. Um, that's why I subscribe. So I still have a blue tick, even though I, I uh, um, everybody else seems to have lost theirs. But I, I do think that the blue tick thing is is w- just one factor. Like there's a lot of people who are angry about um, him segregating accounts, uh, you know, uh, suggesting things based on an algorithm uh that are of people you don't follow it's angering people in the soccer space i'm seeing people who uh who don't want um the toxicity as i would put it sorry i I know i'm going to offend people the toxicity of the u.s men's national team in social media influencers, and I'm not talking about the media people. I'm not talking about the really good writers who cover the national team like the Jeff Car- Carlisles and others. I'm talking about the people who have made uh, uh, a Twitter kind of bullying uh, US uh, uh, fans and 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 have made that their shtick. Um, getting suggestions because of the new algorithm, because you like soccer, you're seeing all of these things about, uh, oh, this MLS player sucks, and this guy who's in a European academy should be starting and Berhalter should be uh, deport- and all of this sort of nonsense. Um, there's more anger about that. And then I'm seeing anger about uh, people who are MLS fans saying that they're seeing too much from from the Premier League, seeing too much of Wrexham. We know they're sensitive about that. So the algorithm has changed and, and, and people are kind of, Upset about it on on all sides of the uh, of the spectrum in terms of soccer fandom. Yeah,
0: yeah, no, it, it is it is interesting to watch uh, and all these changes because I mean, soccer Twitter has been a thing for a long time, right? As far as a place to go to to get into discussions and leave feedback and and. Uh, talk to to a lot of us um to, to talk about the beautiful game. I mean there's there's other places too. I mean there's you know websites such as ours, there's Reddit, there's uh Big Soccer, there's uh there's Facebook um etc Instagram. Um it's all changing in many ways. So I, I just find it fascinating to watch and see how these changes do impact our experience because uh they certainly do in in, in different ways. All right, Kartik. Alright, speaking of Wrexham and many other clubs from around the world as well as national teams, uh, USMNT of course and and others, Uh, what are you going to do this weekend and what should the listeners do?
1: Enjoy your football.